into another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Woodington. And today we're coming with uh, a first feature from a director, uh, Terrence Malick's first film, Badlands. Ian, what was your familiarity with this movie before watching it? So, unlike the last two episodes that we did, where I think I said I'd seen both of those about 15 to 20 times, Badlands, this is my third viewing. And this was my first. Okay, so it's going to be real fresh. Yes, yes, r- real fresh. I, I feel this will this, be a, uh, an episode where we agree on many things, but also probably disagree. And we'll get into that as we go. Um, so, uh, Badlands is written and directed by Terrence Malick. It is his first film. Uh, main cast in this, obviously, is Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Uh, it's released in 1973. Picked up by Warner Brothers after it screened at the New York, uh, New York Film Festival. The same year that Main Streets, I mean, Warner Brothers picked both of those mm-hmm. up. Apparently, from what I was reading, Badlands kind of stole some of the thunder. That's what I read as like, well. Which yeah. is... I mean, I think I don't think either of us are going to disagree that Mean Streets is the better movie, but there, there's no disagreement there. Yeah, no disagreement. I didn't. There. I, I saw some trepidation in your voice there, but yeah. Oh, did I throw you off? No. Oh no. Okay. Good. No, no. Good. I, I'm giving you a hard time. Ah, yes. Yeah. I, I, I know that this is this. I'm going to call it right now. This might be a split decision, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, ooh. We'll see. We'll see. Um. So, uh, Terrence Malick. Uh, He has two other movies in The Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, uh, Days of Heaven and The Thin Red Line. I know Ian has some things he'd like to say about that. I I think that his first five films ought to be in there. Now, I know that Tree of Life, I probably would only find a few people that would argue with me. Now, The New World is probably going to be the most polarizing of those, simply because, I mean, there's three different versions of it. Sure. For a start, I mean, if you pick up the, the Criterion release of it, which you really should. I haven't yet. Yeah, you, well, not just you, everybody. I know, I it's, know. It's a, I, I love The New World, and the, maybe there's some bias there. The New World is the first Malick film that I saw. Sure. And I really went out of my way to see it. I went all the way up to, uh, from from where I lived on Camano Island at the time, for any of you Washington residents who are aware of the geography out here, I went from Camano Island up to a very small art house theater in Bellingham to see it. I really went out of my way, and again, I, I may have mentioned in the last episode we were talking about Aronofsky's work, The Fountain, where I was just awestruck and just sat there through the end credits. I did the same through The New World. I just I couldn't move. I was spellbound by it. So Such uh, a unique vision. To kind of fill you in, too, in case you didn't know this, so Malick does uh, Badlands, and then he does Days of Heaven, and then it's a 20-year gap? Yeah, he disappears for 20 years. Um, this is one of the, the legendary Hollywood stories. I mean, who knows the kinds of films that we could have gotten from 78 to 98 out yeah. of this guy. I mean, the, the, and the rumors are wild with what he did. I mean, I think it's fairly well established that he went and taught uh, at schools in France. He went and taught philosophy at schools in France. And then there are all these rumors of him bird watching for years on end. And you know, he's just an eccentric. He's, he's one of those lovable Hollywood eccentrics. Um, but then he comes back with uh, the Thin Red Line, and then New World, and then Tree of Life. Yeah, just so you've got that what the five films Ian was referencing. Right, and there there are fairly substantial gaps between all of them. You've got Badlands '73, Days of Heaven '78. Then there's the 20 year gap we just mentioned '98. Then he doesn't do another one till 2005. Yep, mm-hmm. comes out right at the end of 2005. And then right. was it and then 2011, 2010, 2010 for uh, Tree, Tree of Life. Life. Actually, you might be right. 
I think it's twenty. I think it's I, I think it is twenty eleven. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, so fairly substantial. His work has been he's been gaining speed lately. Maybe not for the better. Yeah. He's starting to repeat himself quite a bit. If yeah. anybody has seen Knight of Cups or To the Wonder or Song to Song, which I haven't seen yet. I haven't seen that either. But I, I want to because I will just get this out of the way early. I do have a man crush on Michael Fassbender. Oh. Just, just so it's out there. I wasn't me. sure where you were going with that. I, I, have a, I have a man crush on Michael Fassbender. I think it's difficult not to. Here's what I think we should so probably... That's, that's out there in the ether. Oh, it absolutely is. It there is. Yes. Um... Here's where I think we're going to start to have some polarizing issues already. Um, I am not a big Terrence Malick fan. And you're allowed not? It's okay? No, no, no. Oh, I'm no, not I'm just here saying, to judge. No, no, no. I just, you know, we've done two... We're, we're, this is our third episode. Uh, we had pretty much unanimous opinions on Stand By Me and Requiem for a Dream. And not that we're going to have opposite of feelings about this movie, but as a director, I'm not a big fan of Terrence Malick. But we can, we can get into that later. He's a very trying filmmaker. I would I'll agree say with that. that. But... I'm happy there, this movie was an hour and a half. Yeah, in the same regard, I I kind of I kind of throw him in the, the I'm, and again I'm not going to say he's as good as Kubrick because he's clearly not, but he's one of those filmmakers that is going to test you. And oh he's sure, require quite a lot of you. I I and, would agree with that. Yeah, but ultimately there are some there are some rewarding things about his film. Sure. Um. So in terms of uh, accolades and whatnot, um, not a whole lot to be said about it. Um. Sissy Spacek was nominated for a BAFTA for, um, I'm going to quote this, most promising newcomer to leading film roles. Oh, that, and that's, that's still a category of the BAFTAs. Awesome. That's great. Um, and also, uh, for you movie dorks out there, of the movies we've done so far, Badlands is the first Criterion Collection film that we're talking about. And also uh, the first of the three to be inducted into the uh, National Film Register. That is, yep, that so is correct. So that film is preserved now. We're never not going to have that film. Yep, that is correct. It's not currently on the IMDb Top 50. It's not in the AFI 100. It's, it is by no means a forgettable film, but not necessarily one that we remember for any kind of big awards or box office sensation. No, and in fact, I mean, the film was made for quite a little amount of money as well. I think 300000 is all they got for it, and Malik put up a lot of uh, it. quite a bit of that yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, Rotten Tomatoes, current score, 98%. I don't think you agree with that. I do not agree with that uh, whatsoever. <laughs> it is a little high. I'll give you that. It's a little high. I mean, we just talked about Requiem for a Dream, and that was in the 70s. Sure. Ugh. Ugh. I, I think it's fair to, you can knock it down a few. Upper 80s, I would I'd okay, be happy. Okay, yeah, I would upper say a full letter grade. I would drop that, at, well, at least a full letter grade. If we're, <laughs> from, if, from an A to if, a B? If we're bumping, if we can bump a rec- Requiem up from a C to a B, then we got to bump this one down at least a full letter grade. I don't think so. Ah, uh, whatever. A, it's an A plus right now, right? Yeah, I technically. So take it, take well, no, it, whatever, I don't know. Take it down to an A minus. I'd be, I'd be okay with that. I could sleep well at night, knowing uh, that it only slipped to an A minus. So wait, let me tell you, let, let's talk about the plot a little bit in this movie. Martin Sheen uh, plays Kit Carruthers, basically like a, it seems like a townie who doesn't really have... He's very rudderless. Yeah, he doesn't really have uh, much going on, and Sissy Spacek uh, moves into town with her dad. Uh, now, character-wise, the, 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 they're 10 years apart, I believe. 25 and 15. Yes. And they essentially meet and become a couple. Uh, Sissy Spacek's dad takes an issue to this. One thing leads to another, and... Kit kills him. Yep. And uh, that sparks this week, week and a half long road trip 
I don't. Do they do they, they define the amount of time? I, I, I think I'm thinking it's, of the Stark weather. I'm thinking of the the real the things based thing, off right, of so which yes. to put which it into we context, will talk about. To put it into context, it is based on Charles Starkweather, who was one of the the first really renowned sociopaths in you know violent American history. Yeah, uh, Charles Starkweather and uh, Carol Ann Fugate, Fugate or something like that. Fugate. Um, yeah, they ki- uh, ten people died in eight days. So that that's yeah. At the time, I'm sure it was a record. God, probably. Jesus. So we follow uh, Kit and Holly across the country, um, escaping the police. Um, At least from Texas up into, well, their goal is to make it to Montana, eventually up into Canada. Yep. So from where the film takes its name, Badlands, as they trek through that. Yep. And uh, if you know nothing about Terrence Malick, he is a very visual director. He loves landscape, and I would say the the third main character of this movie is just the landscape of America. I mean, just the way he shoots it, the way they talk about it, the way they interact with it. Ultimately, well, I don't know if I want to spoiler this or not. It's a, what, 35-year-old movie? Older than that, 45. Do we want to just say what happens? Yeah, I'm sure people, if you haven't seen it by now, yeah. maybe this might not convince you to see it. But... Sure. But, I mean, eventually, um, you know, Kit gets caught, gets arrested... And the movie just kind of ends. It does just kind of end. So let's let's talk about our, our feelings about this movie. Would you like to start, Ian? I would. And okay. I will start with a quote from Jay Cox. Uh, some of you might know him as a Martin Scorsese collaborator. He wrote uh, Gangs of New York and Scorsese's remake of Silence. He said about the film in 1974, after it had gotten a wide release, it is not loose and high-spirited. All its comedy has a frosty iron and its violence, instead of being brutally balletic, is executed with a dry, remorseless drive. There you go. That's the movie in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I can't necessarily disagree with that. I do feel like this is a director really finding his feet. In contrast to us talking about uh, Requiem for a Dream in the last episode, where it doesn't feel like a sophomoric effort, this is definitely a first film. This is somebody finding his voice, finding his feet, learning what he wants to do in the visual medium, and and discovering the way in which he wants to tell a story. Uh, So, from what I understand, the way that Malick writes his scripts is his scripts are fairly traditional in in the sense of the way that they're structured and, and the way that there are scenes of dialogue and things like that, and then the film becomes something else in editing. From what I can remember about what I researched, so like Sissy Spacek was given a script, but it wasn't a master script in terms of she did not necessarily know how the movie was going to end. Uh, there were parts of it that she didn't totally know what was going to happen from A to B. Uh, and apparently the voiceover wasn't given to her initially. The voiceover was something that came later, which I think goes to... Days of Heaven was it was the same as well as you know a year later they decided okay we need a voiceover here and that that's really his thing is that you know voiceover is is used to a really interesting degree in his films especially in something later the Thin Red Line yeah where the, the narration is arguably maybe it's not needed but it's very poetic and it adds this whole other layer of understanding to the characters and where their minds are at and something that you maybe you could argue oh we should be getting that in a performance but you know that's i for me his narration works I, that's you know that's that's what i was going to say i think the one thing i'll give malik credit for is is the use of his narration it in, really it, allows us inside a character's head yeah in the um in the documentary that's attached to the criterion sissy spacek was quoting jack lemon when he said that voiceover is a crutch and i agree with that with that in theory that it, it certainly can be but not the way Malik uses it. No. Um, 
Because it's not traditional voiceover. It's not at all. They may not even be talking about what you're seeing on screen. Exactly. But they're talking about how they feel about what's happening on screen in a very abstract sort of way. Or just even, I mean, not even talking about what they're, like, the what's, ex- what's going on. There's, I, I wish I had written this down specifically, but there's a shot where they're driving across the plains and, um, like, Kit says something like, just if you're, if like, that she didn't want to talk to him and so he basically tells her to enjoy the scenery and the scenery is, like, nothing. Yeah. You know? And so... It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, it is. It is. Badlands is, is perhaps his most tongue-in-cheek film. Um, maybe, and maybe that's not even a conscious decision. Sure, yeah. You know, one thing about this movie, and, and granted, movies aren't just the movies. Movies are how and when you watch them and what knowledge you're bringing into them. So before I watched this, I decided to... Because I had heard so much of this was based off of the real Charles Starkweather case... And so I watched that episode of American Justice that's on the Criterion and then watched the movie. Which is very 90s. Painfully 90s. Oh, it's painfully 90s. But I'm also a little... I think Terrence Malick really tried to make this a lighter tale. I think he tried to make the Kit character more likable. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But, like, so you, uh, the scene, there's a scene in the movie where Kit basically puts a young couple into, like, the storm cellar and then, like, locks them in there. And fires a couple of shots. And yeah, there. but not, but but it's just like I I can't even tell if he actually really shot them or if he was doing it to scare them. Sure. The way and, that and, it's and he probably doesn't either. Sure. The way that they, sh- they that the way that that was shot, I think, as an audience, we're left wondering what happened. What really happened with Charles Starkweather is he shot that guy in the back of the head six times, and then sexually assaulted the woman and then shot her. Um, the details of the Starkweather case are dark. I, I mean, do you, you remember any of the facts really from oh, this? Oh, yeah, I yeah mean, absolutely. Like, and the fact that they... They killed a two-year-old. He killed... A, and he claimed self-defense. Did you, do you remember that? He yeah, claimed yeah. self-defense. Yeah, the, the, the baby was the... Was the making noise, sound, the, yeah. The noise of the baby was going to give him away, and so it was self-defense. So, yeah, truly one of America's first uh, prolific psychopaths, or sociopaths. And so there was just something about the Charles Starkweather case, and I, I can see how it influenced this movie, but also... The details of it are inconsequential to Malik. I, well, sure, and, and that's true, but I don't know. There are so many... I heard that Malik's didn't want the actors to think about the Starkweather case, but so many of the details in the movie seem like they were pulled directly from it that it, it seems it seems incongruent. And honestly, that's how I feel about the movie, is that I can't tell... I really don't know what they're trying to say. I, I know they're trying... I feel like they're trying to make uh, some kind of a statement on... You know, our image versus reality. You know, the whole thing that he looks like James Dean, which Martin Sheen in that movie really looks like James Dean. I'm, I, I, I actually the hair, the, the not maybe not his face. They didn't change his face, but like his personality. I don't know. I totally got that James Dean vibe from him. Oh yeah, and there's a, there's that wonderful moment, one of my favorite moments in the movie, where he checks his hair during the chase. Yep, it's so good. That is such a well, well, yeah, it's very much a sociopathic moment. But it really solidifies that whole. Um, make sure I get, I look good when I get pulled over. Make sure that they know that I'm trying to look like James Dean. Yeah. Right. That uh, that chase scene was good. Yeah. That was a good chase scene. Yeah. I was I you considering know, the budget and the resources yeah. they had to go on. They really did, and that's that's the thing with Malick is doing, and what I appreciate and what I find so rewarding about his films is how much he does with so little. That's true. In all regards, whether it's visually or from a storytelling point of view or what he gets out of his actors, everybody does so, so much with so little. 
Yeah. I guess I just... I think even in movies where, like, if there's an anti-hero or a villain, I either want to... I want to care about the character. So, like, this is an obscure reference, but, like, the Joker in The Dark Knight is doing not good things. And it's not that I care about him, but I, I really see where he's coming from. There's, well, there's a likability about him. Exactly. Instantly with Kit, there's, there's an unlikability about him. The very first time you meet him, when he's on the garbage route, where he's with the uh, Cato character... He leans down, there's the dead dog in the alleyway, and he goes, I'll give you a dollar to eat this collie. That blindsides you instantly. It's like, well, what What am I supposed to do with a character who yeah. thinks like this? Well, and it's, and it's it, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things like that where you just kind of left, or you're left wondering, okay, like there's that, they, they have sex for the first time. Which, which is a throwaway moment. It really is. It, I was going to say, I wrote blasé. I was like, oh, okay, they really don't care. And then he wants to remember it. So he grabs that big rock. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's too big. And he so gets the smaller one. He gets the one. little one. It's probably one of the best moments. Other than building the rock monument to make Which, sure that Okay, he... now that I like. Yeah. But that but that other one, I'm like, I don't really... I don't get it. And that's, that's the key that there's something off in his mind. There is something... There is there is a detachment from reality Which about him. Which, I definitely get that. But uh, see, I don't the know. The same it's, with it's him with the, with the dead cow, where he's like stepping on the dead cow. If we are walking over it and things like that. But I also, I mean, I think he's checked out, but I also, like, I, but also, like, I wonder how much of this he's, he thinks about or he's planned. Because, like, he records that fake, like, the fake suicide message on, on the record. Yeah, and then burns the house down like the record isn't going to be destroyed. I, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't. He's, and that's that's the great thing about his character and the, the great Martin Sheen plays him pitch perfectly. I, we, I still think it's one of the, the best Martin Sheen performances. You know that's what he said. Yeah, oh no, he considers it not only his best performance, but still one of the greatest screenplays he's ever read. Which, to both of those, I know, I'm surprised because when I, when I first I read that online, and then when I watched the doc- documentary, Where he, he said it. it. Yeah. That was in like 2012. He's done a lot. I, was just, I mean, he didn't even mention The West Wing, which, I mean, I know it's not a movie, but that's, I mean, when I think of Sheen now, I think of The West that's Wing. A, that's a prolific series but to say that that's still the like one of the best scripts he's ever and, read and this is this is where malik gets ambiguous because as i said his process and again i don't know how much of it it was with badlands but certainly in something like the new world tree of life he has a he has a script he has a laid out defined script so the script that sheen read may might have played much more like a traditional film it might have played for instance a, a, a more modern film it may have played much more like a, a true romance Right, which sure. is where a Tarantino script that took a huge influence from yeah. Badlands and the Starkweather murders, and you know, even as as much as the, uh, the Hans Zimmer score, he borrows, <laughs> yeah. he almost flat out steals. Well, that yeah, thing. and it, so much so that when I was watching Badlands at first, and that and that music first pops on, I wrote, I know this score from somewhere. Yeah. Dot dot dot. And then when it came up again later, it it totally clicked. Oh, true romance. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, and so my point being is that who knows. Why Sheen says that, other than you know Sheen and and Malik. I mean that script could have been totally different than what they see. I mean the editing on on uh, Days of Heaven, for instance, took over a year, and you know a lot of people that worked on that in the Criterion DVD, they said the the film that they they read, the film that they worked on, completely wasn't the film that ended up being released. I mean Christopher Plummer again is another example. Christopher Plummer has flat out said that he refuses, he will not work with Malik again because of what how much he chopped up his performance in the new world you know he's got this wonderful speech that he gives 
and Malik like cuts away and he's watching something else. He's watching something happening in a tree. That's him. He's he's not bound by this is the thing that fascinates me about Malik. He's not bound by traditional structural storytelling. And that's it's very evident in the thin line the, the thin red line. Oh yeah. Because that's supposed to be a World War II movie. Saving Private Ryan, it is not. That film is a complete meditation on not just war and violence, it's a meditation on just human nature in general. True, I would agree. Yeah, he, he's just, he's a, be a little cliche, he is, he is a wonder to me. I, am, I know that he's repeating himself a lot more in his newer films, but I, I'm never not going to be there to see something because I'm, I know that I'm going to get something that is just utterly fascinating, something that's going to be difficult to look away from, as The Tree of Life was. The Tree of Life is probably one of the greatest films of the decade so far. Yeah, that's one that I... I definitely... So I've only seen it once. And I think now now I'm going to wait until it comes out on Criterion before I yeah, watch we'll, it again. Yeah, because we'll get the longer cut, which yeah. I, I've been on pins and needles waiting for ever since I heard about it but, know, six or seven years ago. Yeah. I I mean, I, I mean, and this will sound like I'm going to sound very much of this kind of generational, like, you know, I give me something now, keep my attention, but I'm so glad this movie was 95 minutes. Because I just... It, oh, it was a long ninety-five minutes. I can't wait to get to Barry Lyndon. <laughs> but see, and, but that's a see, like Barry Lyndon, I love. Oh, I do don't you? mind a oh, long. I didn't, I didn't know you would watch. Oh it yeah, no, okay. I don't like. I don't. Or I don't mind a long movie. I okay. don't mind a slow burn. Yeah, Malik is a whole other level. It of is. Slow burn. It I'll, is. I'll give and, you that. And again, and I don't want to say that like I like the Thin Red Line because it was you know it was a war movie because there was explosions and stuff because really there's so little of that that happens in the movie. Sure. But I am that movie fascinates me. Yeah, and maybe it's because of the like traditional lack of a script. But Badlands actually is. I mean, taking the narration aside, Badlands is a pretty straightforward story. Yeah, no, it's it's got a clear three act structure. But even that, I still found myself going, okay. This is. I mean, my this is kind of a harsh hot take here. Um, the description of the movie sold it as something that I was that I didn't get for me. Well, because it's in a in a film that has so few bullet point moments and so few you know bullet point plot you know like plot points. I sure. mean that 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 blurb on the back has to really take them all. Oh, I know because it's got so little to choose. It's got so little to work with. Well, and and something else I was thinking about as you know getting ready for this podcast and and looking at at previous episodes that we've done. You know when I think about Stand by Me. I think there's like six or seven or eight iconic moments from that movie. Requiem for a Dream, as as tough as a movie as that is, there are four or five shots and one really great scene between yeah. between Ellen Burstyn and Jared Leto where it's like, yeah. But I watch this and I go, I don't have a scene. Personally, nothing, nothing I, that stands yeah, out. Nothing that I'm like, oh, if you need to watch Badlands for this, because if I was going to say anything, it'd be the cinematography. But then I would just say, watch any other Terrence Malick film. Because for me, or read up, or if you're just interested in the story, read more about the Starkweather case, which I think is much more interesting. And so, yeah, I just find this movie stuck somewhere between, I mean, a, a freshman effort at making a film, and obviously Terrence Malick improves himself as as a visual filmmaking director as you watch his movies progress through absolutely i think he finds the way he wants to tell stories more clear as he goes through thin red line being a great example of what's the plot of thin red line 
to get over this hill, but 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 not really. Right. It really is to just see these men in this in the shit, and to see them to see them as people. But this movie just doesn't. I don't connect to. I don't have that. It's no, very yeah, the it's, chase, as you said. It's very clearly a first film because yeah. he would, and it's in the book. We'll do an episode on it. He he turned around and made a masterpiece. I I genuinely believe Days of Heaven. It is. It's a masterwork, and that's incredible to say that about somebody's second film. No, nobody pulls off a second feature like that in, well, in the same way that Malick did. It, well, a very, very similar to this Badlands episode. That'll be the first time I see Days of Heaven. Will be for that podcast I'm when so we get ex- to it. I'm so excited for you to see it, um, especially. I, I know what you're thinking as well. Oh God, it's got Richard Gere in it. It's got Pretty Woman's Richard Gere in it. I got nothing against Richard Gere. Really? No. I, whatever. No? Okay. I I mean I'm not mesmerized by Richard Gere, but whatever. I mean, he's not. I don't think I. I don't know. I don't. See, well, that's that, and that's well, that's the point that I'm trying to make. He he's not. He's not an actor that really stands out in anybody's mind. I'm not. No. I don't want to take anything away from him. Sure. But he hasn't. He hasn't had that one great. You know performance that's worthy of an Oscar. He hasn't had, like, in recent memory, he hasn't had DiCaprio's Revenant. He hasn't had... That's a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Sure, but in the context of his his filmography is what I'm saying. He hasn't yeah. got... He hasn't done the role which you could say, okay, this is what he deserves his Oscar for. This is at least what he should be nominated for. I don't even know that Richard Gere has been. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. But we're getting sidetracked. Anyway, yeah. no, you... Days of Heaven is is a masterpiece but th- and that's the thing with with Badlands is why I appreciate Badlands the way that I do is because without Badlands you couldn't have Days of Heaven you couldn't have the Thin Red Line you've got to have that first feature and I I totally agree yeah. I mean absolutely I mean without without following we don't get um, Memento sure you know without um, without Pi we don't get Requiem for a Dream I mean yeah. I, I totally I yeah. get that without Duel we don't or and Sugarland Express we don't get Jaws we don't, we don't get, get exactly exactly yeah, exactly but um, it's but, it's, it but, is not but the those movies aren't in this book this book of a thousand and one movies you must see before those, you those die those being the keywords must and die you must see this before you die sure you have, you have a lifetime you have one lifetime and in this lifetime you must do this I get that, and I—I I, I mean, obviously, the, it's a strongly worded title um, for a book. It doesn't mince words. No, it doesn't at all. But I—but we obviously you get what we're trying to say. Is this a movie that you should see, or should you pass it? And I might be jumping the gun a little bit here because I don't want to—I don't want to cut you off from saying anything else. No, that no, you no. Say but about it, this. it feels naturalistic. Let's. If you've been listening to our podcast, you know that we end the podcast generally talking about whether or not this movie should be in the book or not. But I, I think it's very clear that you... I you, do not. You, you've already come to your conclusion. I do not think that this... And it's funny because my original notes said yes, mostly because of the films it inspired, both of Malick's and... Have, have you changed your mind just while you're saying it, or did you change your mind before we started recording? I changed my mind last night. Oh. Yep. Okay. I did. So, and, and what was the timeline in there? How long ago did you watch it? Uh, about a week and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you had a good 10 days or so to yeah. really ruminate on I, I, And yeah. for t- let's say let's say you had 11 days, and for 10 of those days, it was it. Yeah. It was. It was. And then I really... Is I, there a defining moment? Is there a defining thought that came to you where you go, no, it's out? It, yeah. It, yeah. It, there was. And it was, it was, again, thinking about the Starkweather case, which I know I've, I've hammered on a lot during yeah, this podcast, yeah. but... I find that so much more interesting than this movie. And, you know, if I'm going to, 
if I'm going to take this movie out and put a movie in... Please it, don't say Natural Born Killer. I'm not, which I think actually is in the book. Oh, is it? Or it was oh, at one God. point. But no, but very similar to that, I am, I am going to put in True Romance. I'm going to take out Badlands, and I'm going to put in True Romance. Because... I can't... Okay, so I can't argue with True Romance, True Romance going in. I have a very strong connection to that film. I feel very passionately about it. I, sure. It is the best Tarantino film not directed by Tarantino. Well, that's fair. Yeah. But I, I think they can coexist in the book. And it's not that they can't coexist. It's just... Tarantino did it better. Well, and here's the thing. I, I'm, if you, if, Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of all time. That's a fact. I do love Tarantino's movies. But that's not even why I'm, I'm, I believe this. I think not only does more happen, but, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to go back and rewatch Badlands. I don't. But True Romance, I will. And to help, to help with, with me with this podcast, this morning I put on True Romance. That opening about Elvis, the scene, I mean, actually, you know, scratch that. The scene between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken is reason enough for me to take out Badlands and put in True Romance. It's no, I, I again, I can't agree with you going in, go, it going True Romance going in because again, it is very, it's one of those things that's loosely inspired by people like Starkweather. Yeah, um, but no, that it deserves to go in the book for for no other reason than that conversation yeah. between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. That is the greatest exchange. This is a big sell. <laughs> this is a really big sell. That is the greatest exchange. In modern film history, I'm not going to say in all of film history, but in modern film history, that is the greatest conversation that has ever happened on screen. It's a hot take. It's a hot take, and I, I'm not going to agree or disagree, but I'm going to say it's up there. I, I definitely am going to say it's up there's there. There's nothing else that springs to my it's mind so which is better, other than, and again, we'll get to this because it's in the book, but some of the exchanges between Daniel Plainview. And uh, the Paul Dano character in There Will Be Blood at the end, especially. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're getting slightly wide of the mark. Uh, I, I do believe that it does, it does deserve its place in there, simply because without it, you can't have the Malik that we know today or the Malik that was so prolific when he did come back to Hollywood and he did make Thin Red Line and The New World. This is, this is the case for directorial debuts and really because there should be I think there should be a healthy number of directorial debuts in the book to show all these great auteurs that you love they have to start somewhere sure right if following isn't in the book I'm not sure that it is but it's not it it should be I it absolutely should be Alfred Hitchcock's early films which I know there aren't a ton of in there some of those should be in there because without these stepping stones without these pitfalls and these learning curves we can't have all those 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 great films, I think the Duelists should be in there. Ridley Scott's. Well, I film. do too, but I but I genuinely think that should be in there because it's a good movie. Yeah. I think it is a movie you, that you should watch. But I, I just, oh, did you, you did watch? Sorry, I didn't mean to, to get sorry. You did watch the Duelists. I love the Duelist. Wasn't that incredible? Wasn't that just something I, else? I think Ridley Scott watched Barry Lyndon and said, "Hey, you know what? I want to do that, but I want to make it an hour shorter and focus on the fencing." And I think it's he great. Got, he got absolutely rewarded yeah, for I, it. His first film out of the gate, 
got the uh, the audience award at, at Cannes. It was great. No, no, it was it was great. Good. Um, I'm glad you liked that. I know. I totally did. But like, I've been trying, listeners. I've been trying to get him to watch that for years. No, it's a great years. movie. It's a great movie. And I wasn't, I wasn't avoiding it. I just no, no, never watched it. No, no. Um, but, but what what people will discover as we go on through these episodes is that we'll get it out of the way right now. I am a Ridley Scott fanboy, one hundred percent down the line. In the way, in a in a sick way that so many people are Christopher Nolan fanboys now. I feel like you're looking at me when you say I'm not looking that. at you. No, I, I, well, I, I am. I'll I know just say you. It. I totally. I know am. you are. But there are people that think that he is, you know, God's gift. That he is the new Q. Kubrick. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I, I've talked to people that honestly believe he's the new Kubrick, and I, don't I, know what, I can't. I bang my head against a brick wall of these people. See, I don't think he's the new anything. I just think he's Christopher Nolan. I think he has a way of making movies. He sure. has a way of telling stories. Sure, that's different from Kubrick. Right. I mean, I think. What, I think people's what they saw Interstellar and thought, oh, that's the, no. The, even even before well, I know, I'm just we're, that we're talking. Stupid. We're talking yeah. as far back as the Prestige. I had people telling me, oh, he's going to be the next Kubrick. I don't know. No, it's Paul Thomas He's Anderson. But that's we'll get there. We'll, yeah. we'll deal with that. Yeah. Um, but so, anyways, I, I I just I can't accept. I just can't accept that a first feature means that you get to be in the book. That'd be like saying that THX one one three eight gets to be in the book. THX one one three eight does not. I love that movie. I I adore it, but it does not get to be in the book. Yeah, exactly. And why? Why does it not get to be in the book? You really put me on the spot there. I am. <laughs> Because it's not as good as his second feature. I don't know. It's not as good as American Graffiti, which is in there. But by that logic, you have said that Days of Heaven is a masterpiece. Yeah. And yet somehow Badlands gets to be in the book? Badlands gets to be in the book because of... We're going to ignore his Latter-day Sins. Badlands gets to be in the book because of Malick's consistency. And building his, building his, his, his visual storytelling... I, it's a hard... I'm, I'm not selling it. I'm no, like, no, here's the thing. I, I can't convince you... Well, I mean, I could try, but I mean... Our, I, honestly, our opinions I, are our opinions. It's, I mean... It's, I'm, I'm having a moment where I'm, I'm not wanting to look facts in the face. Maybe Badlands shouldn't be in there. <laughs> Badlands should be in there. I'll just, I'll just throw it out there. Badlands should be in there because I, I like it. I do genuinely really like it. I do think it is Martin Sheen's strongest performance outside of what he did on the West Wing, outside of what he did in Apocalypse Now. I think Sissy Spacek is incredible. What she does in that film is so subtle, but especially after Kit kills her father. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know we skipped over that, but... The, just the way, the subtle ways in which she changes. If she comes up the well, stairs, she's yeah. in that green and dress. She's smoking. She's smoking yeah. Now, yeah, right? There, there, there are little things in here that I think make it a strong debut. Maybe not the strongest debut. Maybe not even the most memorable debut. It's certainly not David Lynch's Eraserhead. Jesus. Which is in the book. I think so. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, one of the most incredible debuts ever. I mean, it's... And I, I'm sure I'm not convincing anybody else either, but it's... Hey, you know what? I, no. I like it in the book. I'm happy that it's in there. I think... I, j I said earlier that it wasn't a scene. I, there is one scene. That, that takes it out for you? No, oh no, there's one scene that, like, I... I that I, that yeah. keeps it in there for well, you. Well, that makes me at least, like... Her her baton skills... Oh, they're incredible. Jesus. Yeah, she was really good. Yeah. that that That's all her, obviously, but, yeah, yeah that was really good. The, Not the, good the, enough to keep it in the book. The the scene that keeps it in the book for me is is the car chase. It's the fixing of the hair. It's the sociopathy about him. It's that the whole... The, the end of the movie is worth it for me, dealing with his sociopathy in a real in a real way like I said fixing the hair building the rock monument to commemorate where he gave up and then the scene afterwards at the airfield 
where he's he's all chummy with the he's making nice yeah. with his captors and he's giving away he gives away a comb yeah. he's giving away just shit that he's got in his pockets oh yeah yeah uh, well S- split decision yeah it, it, that is a split decision on uh on this this episode of a thousand and one by one um, i will i will admit that i was out argued i just i yeah i don't know i just feel like it didn't grab me but but you hey. know what that's gonna be movies that's just gonna They're not all going to grab you. Um, THX didn't grab you either. It did not grab me. But The Duelist did. The Duelist did. While we're talking debuts, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. I, I, God damn it, that should be in the book. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll concede this. If Duelist gets to go in the book, then Badlands can come out. Done. How, how about that? Done. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll write Mr. Stephen J. Schneider, editor of the 1001, um, see what he thinks of that. You know what, though? Um, so... So I, I I would exchange Badlands for True Romance. You would exchange Badlands for Duelist. We'd love to hear what you think um, on our Facebook page. You know whether or not you would keep Badlands in the book or not. Um, uh, if you would change it with one of the ones that we said or something else, who knows? So that is a split decision on Badlands with some maybe some some subbing in and out. Yeah, who knows? Uh, well, we've got some. We've got some good ones. We would sub it for. I think so. I think so. I'm happy for it to stay in, but you know, if something good is going to go in its place, like the Duelist, that's fine. Sure, I'll I'll live with it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that is uh, the end of this particular episode of A Thousand One by One. My name is Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week.